for getting that wrong. I just want to speak for a few minutes this morning uh, before we uh, move to the baptisms uh, and speak from God's word. That's what we do when we gather together and worship. We uh, hear uh, God's word and we try and explain that word and teach that word and proclaim that good news uh, message. And uh, as uh, I mentioned earlier, we're looking at the whole subject of um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday. And um, that is a hugely significant theme, and it's one of great hope, and it's absolutely crucial to our faith as believers, as Christians. It's crucial, not just to our faith, but it's absolutely crucial to the gospel message, to the good news. Last week we spent quite a lot of time looking at the good news the proclaiming of good news and that the word, even the word that is used here is about proclaiming good news. That's the Greek word. It talks about proclaiming good news. And that was the good news message that turned the world upside down and that changed the course of history because uh, these disciples who uh, were the bringers of that good news uh, had been huddled in an upper room for fear of their life until they met with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, lots of churches were planted. Uh, Lots of uh, new believers came to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the early churches, the church in Corinth, that we're reading the letter of Paul to. He was the uh, apostle who brought the teaching of the Bible and the teaching of Jesus Christ and the good news to these churches. And it's it's a baby church. It's an early church. It's a church that hasn't been on the go for very long. And they're facing their first major crisis. Their first major crisis is that false teachers have come in and others have come in and said, you don't really need to believe in the resurrection. It's just, you know, take it or leave it. It's not that important. It didn't, it didn't really happen. And so Paul writes this letter to absolutely nail that, that teaching. To absolutely nail it on the head and say, no, It's non-negotiable. It's absolutely crucial to everything that we believe. If there's no resurrection, then just let's just close up shop completely and just eat Easter eggs. Let's just do it. And uh, the clear logic of the teaching of the early church, the clear logic of the teaching here and of uh, the message of the good news is that Jesus, as we saw last week, Jesus is the Son of God. He claimed that the, the... The death that we all experience in life is part of uh, not just a physical thing, but reflects a spiritual separation from God. And that it's too deep, as I was saying to the children, for us to deal with. None of us have the power over the grave. None of us have the power to make our hearts right before God and to make us pure and clean. So he sent his son, Jesus, to do that on our behalf. And uh, that he experienced that sin and separation from God and the wrath of God and the cross, the justice of God and the cross in our place. And he was dead and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, victorious over that power, victorious over death and uh, with the blessing and the approval uh, of God the Father for what he had done. He dies in our place. Greater love is no man in this that he lay down his life for his friends. So the resurrection is that great seal of approval. It's that great significant and central truth. 
And now, in, in life and in, in the Christian faith and in the Bible, there's lots of gray areas. There's lots of things that we can have debates about and that we can have different opinions about. Baptism is one of them. Some churches only baptize uh, adults who have come to faith and in other churches baptize adults who have come to faith and their children, uh, as we will be doing today. There's lots of different areas where we can have different opinions. But um, uh, this absolutely basic truth is non-negotiable. It's completely crucial. It changes everything. If there's no resurrection, no resurrection of Jesus, there is absolutely nothing. Now, I asked for a quote. I I don't know if I asked for it very well, so I'm not sure if it's coming up or not. Uh, Will it come up? It will? Two. There we go. Okay, that quote from uh, C.S. Lewis is, I'm not trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or a big chocolate egg, or that... um, you <laughs> humongous egg behind me. Yeah, that, C.S. Lewis didn't say that. Uh, I said that. Uh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. It's absolutely crucial, absolutely fundamental to our worship today, to our gathering, to the baptism for our children, uh, to the life of faith that we live. Can I just give you a couple of examples? Mobile phones, uh, the bane of our lives, you know. We've got these mobile phones and we use them all the time. Uh, But can you imagine if I came today with this amazing iPhone 12 and it's a kind of 8G turbo phone that can uh, do 3D printing and all kinds of stuff. It's an amazing thing that's just the best thing in the world and you're all just amazed by it. But then I say to you, but they haven't devised a battery that can work with it. It's a game changer. It's useless, isn't it? An iPhone 12 that can do all these things, but without a battery, it's completely useless. It is just a heap of junk. Or outside, sometimes we see some really flash cars, and it might be there's a Lamborghini Roadster out there, 6.5 liter, 12 cylinder, not to 6, to 2 and 2.5 seconds. You think, that's amazing, what a machine. But then I add the kind of rider, afraid it hasn't got an engine. Game changer. Useless, fundamental. There, there are some things that absolutely are fundamental to the uh, existence of something else, like a battery for a mobile phone or an engine for a Lamborghini or for any other car. Without that, it's all bluster. And without the resurrection, it's all bluster. And what Paul is doing here, he's saying very simply, it's either or. It's either Christ is the Redeemer or he's not. And there's nothing really in between. And that is what we put our faith in as Christians, and that is what we want to share with our children and believe uh, that they will come to know for themselves as we, uh, by faith, uh, have them uh, baptized. So I want to say a couple of things. Either Christ is the Savior, and that's what Paul's saying here, or he's not. Okay? And that's the whole argument, in, uh, both in verses 1 to 11, and then later on uh, in uh, the chapter that we read. Christ 
he says, and he's made clear, and he's, 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 he's put his foundations deep down in this truth uh, in the first 11 verses. You know, Christ is the Savior. He died for our sins. You know, of first importance, he says that. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Uh, that, that was prophesied in the Old Testament Scripture. That was testified to 1, 2, 12, 500 people as we read last week. We didn't read that this week. And it's transformed his own life. And he said that was God's plan A. And there is no plan B. There isn't a second plan. Uh, that is God's way. That God recognized our need. He came, as, uh, in, came with, in the person of Christ as our substitute, as our savior. And the resurrection is uh, proof of what he has done. That is the message of the whole gospel. And it's the message and the power and the life that has changed hundreds of thousands of millions of people uh, right through history, right up until the present day. This uh, is the truth that the gospel hinges on. Absolutely, completely, and fundamentally. It's, it's of first importance, he says in some of the earlier verses here. It's not a vague faith we have. It's not a wispy faith. It's not just a kind of ethereal faith. Well, I've got a kind of vague hope in something or someone. It's uh, based on the historicity and the fact of the person of Christ, the life of Christ, the claims of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And his resurrection is not fable. And it's not wishful thinking by a bunch of guys who'd lost their leader. And it's absolutely not symbolic. What can... What can be symbolic about someone who didn't actually be raised from the dead? There's nothing symbolic about that apart from failure. If he he wasn't raised from the dead, where's the symbolism? symbolism, Symbolic of what? Uh, And we need to recognize and see that that is a vain and an empty claim. The challenge for us, if the gospel is true and if the message is true and if the uh, claims of the gospel and of Jesus Christ are true, then it's a fact that changes everything. It changes everything. And it's a fact for every person to consider. Because each one of us are faced with aging and death and, and spiritual separation from God in this life and eternally. Unless we come to terms with this fact of Jesus. You can look at it and you can examine it. You can reject it. But you need to reject it, having examined that truth and considered the alternatives. Because Paul isn't stupid enough here not to discuss the alternatives and not to think about the alternatives. And he talks about them in the passage we read. He's well aware. And so must we be. If there is no resurrection, he clearly is right in saying that our faith is in vain. And so is our preaching. More than that, he says, we are liars because we've been leading people up the garden path. It's empty and foolish. We might as well believe in green goblins than believe in the resurrected Savior if it isn't something that happened. If who they met and if who they saw wasn't the risen Savior who had defeated death and the grave forever, then uh, everything collapses. No resurrection. Today, no resurrection then death reigns. We need to recognize that. Uh, Either God, from whom we are separated, we will remain separated, or there's just simply no God at all. And death just reigns for whatever reason. 
And we are left in a world where there is no ultimate meaning, no ultimate answers, where there's no redemption in suffering or for suffering, there's no reason, no hope, where uh, we choose either between randomness of evil and the evil that we see in our newspapers every day and we recognize, or we debate over what is good and what is uh, proper in our lives. And Paul absolutely recognizes if there is no resurrection and if Christ didn't come, then the answer is that we simply party. That's what he says. If there isn't Christ, if there's no resurrection, if it isn't true, he said, just let's party. Let's just have a good time. He says that. He says, you know, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that is absolutely great philosophy. If there is no resurrection, let's, let's forget this pretense and let's just have a party. Because that's all we've got. That's all there is. Death still reigns. We will live until we die. But it's just one great big party. And there's nothing to live for other than living for ourselves and living for the day. So, the resurrection is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely central to us. Without it, our faith is futile. We are to be pitied as Christians. I know a lot of people pity Christians anyway, but I think for the wrong reasons. And maybe because they don't understand sometimes the gospel message or Christians give them a reason to be pitiable. It makes us liars. And it makes all the people who are willing to die for their faith absolute fools uh, for standing up for the truth and for Christ. The whole thing is a charade. The whole thing is a lie. So really, on this Easter Sunday, what Paul is saying to us and what we recognize and know and we remind ourselves of uh, through this baptism, uh, these baptisms, is that the resurrection really matters. It really matters for every one of us. It's good news. Not more than that. It's great news. It's absolutely outstanding news that God is, that God is good, that God is holy, that God is just, that we are accountable to God, that he knows our need, he knows our guilt, he knows we can't put it right, and so he comes and deals with our need and rescues us and defeats the power of the grave on our behalf. And... uh, these are the truths uh, that are significant to us. That he is a rescuing, loving, gracious, forgiving, good, holy, pure God who is interested in investing himself in our lives and who will transform our hearts and clean us from the inside in a way that we just can't begin to do ourselves and give us victory over the grave so that even though we die, yet we will live and go to be with him. And that is hugely significant and hugely important. So I just ask the question, uh, does it matter to you? Have you ever considered the significance of that historical fact that Jesus rose rose from the dead and defeated the power of death? Not not, Not for himself at all, but for those who will put their trust in him. Or maybe your philosophy of life is also written in the Bible as a warning. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's party. 
And if Christ is raised from the dead, then that philosophy of life is the great deception. That is the great deception. And we need to consider and think about that uh, if Christ is who he claims to be, which we believe, which uh, the truth uh, reflects, and which the transformation of our lives and the changes in the lives of millions of people have borne testimony to today. So, very briefly, uh, we will, in a very short time, uh, we'll be uh, baptizing uh, five lovely young people. And uh, we look forward uh, to that uh, together. Uh, I'm going to need some expert advice to make sure I baptize the right child with Echen and Michael being twins. And the thing is, if I get it wrong, they'll need to be called that for the rest of their lives. It's just crucial that I get it right. And uh, also, of course, it'll be easier with Amy and Fraser and Ruri. And we look forward to that shortly. And baptism, uh, whether it's baptism for an adult who has come to faith and hasn't been baptized as a child, or uh, for the children of believers, is very much symbolic of that new life, uh, of the cleansing that uh, is offered uh, to us by Jesus and the forgiveness that he, he gives to us and the power and the hope of a future or a present with him in the battles of this life and also a future with him in heaven. And God asks that... Uh, all who come to faith and put their trust in Jesus Christ are uh, baptized. Uh, it's a symbol, it's a sign of a kind of badge of belonging to Jesus Christ. And it's a privilege that uh, he instructs us to share uh, with uh, our children, if we are believers, share it with our children too, a recognition that our God is a covenantal God. He's a God who works through families and who gives the privilege of covenant membership of the gospel to uh, children. Uh, not exclusively, but he does work uh, through families. He answers the prayers of uh, us as parents, and he gives us promises and privileges uh, to all uh, who are Christians about our children. And as we bring them up in God's grace, uh, we challenge them to receive uh, the benefits of the sacrament that has been taken in faith on their behalf and which they must take and take the saviour of that uh, sacrament for themselves. It does not in and of itself save anybody. Uh, it is a, a sign and a seal of what by faith and in promise we believe will be our children's as we bring them up the way God has intended us to do. So we look forward to... Uh, these baptisms and uh, uh, it's very exciting and a uh, very beautiful thing uh, to be involved in today so I'm just going to pray briefly and uh, then we're going to sing that psalm again and uh, I've asked someone to go down and get the kids to come back up so the kids can watch and uh, be part of, of this day as well so let's bow our heads and pray Heavenly Father we ask and pray uh, for your blessing and for your help to be with us uh, during this, these baptisms. 
that we would know your help, that we would know your grace, we would know your favor, we would know your Holy Spirit's guidance and presence with us, and that we would rejoice as a Christian family, as a church today, uh, uh, at these uh, families and at uh, the babies and uh, all uh, that they represent and all that they mean and the wider families that are here today to support and who have been very much part of uh, the story of their lives. And uh, we thank you that uh, we have new life in the congregation in different ways and with different uh, people, uh, sometimes new people coming to the congregation, sometimes people becoming Christians and joining us, sometimes people moving here, sometimes babies being born. We thank you that... Uh, Little Juliet is with us today, and we pray your blessing on uh, them as a family, the Brooks. And we pray that you would be with all the families who can't be here today, who are away at this Easter weekend. We remember them, and we pray that they would have rest, refreshment, and recovery on their vacation, their holidays. So bless us with your presence now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.